good morning, Cap City Church. Hey, just before you sit down this morning, say hi to somebody. If you don't know them, that would be even better. There's a lot of new people hanging out with us. Say, hey, namely, there's a handful of guys from OCU in that back corner. Give them a hand here this morning. Yeah. Appreciate them coming up to check out Cap City. That wasn't important anyway. Nobody run and get that. It was just, I'll tell you what that was. It was, I just wanted to bring your attention to it. It was a connection card. If you're new here this morning, we'd love for you to fill one of those out, turn it in at the Welcome Center, and we'd love to get you a free gift before you get out of here, and you're probably going to get a phone call or a text from, uh, from me because I'd love to hang out with you and tell you a little bit more about our church. Just want to talk to you about a couple announcements before uh, we continue in worship this morning. Um, if you grabbed a bulletin this, this morning, you'll hear uh, an announcement video right before I, I preach today. Um, but just one quick note, we did accidentally tell you that Awana is going to start this Wednesday, so don't bring your kids here um, um, this week. Bring them here September 7th. That will be in the announcement video, and it lines up with a lot of the other things we're doing. On that note, if you don't know what Awana is, it's our kids program on Wednesday nights that runs during the school year, and we wanted to have 40 sponsorships this year, and you guys sponsored 63 kids. 63. Man, um, that's awesome. God's good. But that's a lot of money, but now I need you to go find 63 kids to get here, okay? Yeah. It's one thing to give. It's another one to get them to come to church and be here with us. We don't want that money uh, to just go to waste. We want to take care of those kids as well. So a lot of good stuff coming. You'll hear more about that in the announcement video uh, here in just a few minutes. Um, but before we continue in worship, I want to talk to you just for a second about this next song. And and if you're a visitor here with us today, we're, we're a people that believe in freedom and worship, whatever posture God might be leading you to. Our, our altars are always open, but you can know there's even a particular song uh, during every worship set where you'll see pastors standing up here. And that's just an opportunity for you if you want specific prayer for, for a need, maybe apart from our response time this after, uh, after the service. Um, but this next song we're going to sing is entitled Set of Fire. And one of my good friends, uh, well, I guess really a mentor to me, his father was a longtime pastor. And he talked about how that in scripture, we see the Holy Spirit move in nature through the path of least resistance. So we see the Holy Spirit move or, or represented as, as fire. We see the Holy Spirit represented as water. We see the Holy Spirit represented as wind. And if you think about all of those elements moving in creation, fire, water, wind, they move around the path of least resistance, right? We've seen canyons and valleys carved out by water over time. We talk about putting up something to block the wind, right? We don't want to do that in our spirit, but we might do that if it's too windy or it's cold. But this morning, we're, and we're going to talk about fire a little bit in our sermon today, but we ask God to set a fire in our soul, to fan the flame. Oh, man, church. What would happen if we really asked God to do that? Because here's the thing about fire. It's exciting, and it's, it brings energy in a church service, and we feel like it has to do with what we're singing or saying or preaching or worshiping or praying. But fire consumes a lot of things, doesn't it? And so if we're going to ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit this morning, we have to give the Holy Spirit permission to burn up the stuff that doesn't need to be there. Because I don't know if you've ever seen, that, seen what happens when, when a clean fire starts, how beautiful it is and how useful it is and how it brings heat and how it can be a source to, to do so many different things. 
But when you when you sing and pray that this morning, Lord, set a fire in my heart. Are you willing to give him everything that doesn't need to be there? To allow him to consume those things in such a way that his fire can take full precedent in your life. Father, we thank you today that we get to be in the house of the Lord. We thank you for so much, Lord. We pray that you would feel, fill our hearts this morning with a spirit of gratitude. Lord, that we leave behind our complaining and our whining and our, our, our depressed spirits this week that we might have brought into this place, Lord, and allow ourselves to be energized by the joy of our salvation. God, I want to see a fire set in my soul, but God, I want to see it blaze throughout this whole place this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lift our hearts and our souls, our voices this morning as we proclaim this request. Set a fire in my soul. Let it be so, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love. Here in your love, set a fire down in my soul. I can't contain, I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. That I can't contain, and I can't control. I want more of you. Set a fire 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We lift you. Lift the name of Jesus this morning. Jesus, the name of every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe.
Church. We are so glad you're joining us today. Please share your updates, praises, and prayer requests on the connection card and drop it in the offering when it comes around later this morning. First time visitors, please let us get to know you through the connection card. And at the end of service, you can take it to the visitor welcome desk in the lobby to receive a small gift. The Golden Saints are planning a trip to the Ark Encounter on Friday, October 7th. The deadline to sign up is September 4th. If you're interested, more details can be found at the welcome desk, and there will be an informational meeting after church on the 28th. Saturday, September 10th, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., will be our annual car show and fish fry. Join us here at church for fun with the whole family, as we will have food, the car show, bounce houses, and much more. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. See the back of the bulletin for more details. Please welcome Pastor Jonathan with today's message. Well, I'm thankful for our worship team this morning. They did a great job, didn't they? It would be okay if we gave them another hand. Um, 
My iPad's not orienting. Do you know what that means? <laughs> get it here in just a second. I can't make up its mind. Um, still not going to make up its mind. I, I was moping a little bit this week. You ever mope? A little bit? I mean, that really, I, that really wasn't convincing. I think some of you, if you were one of the seven dwarfs, your name would be Mopey, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was moping yesterday. And I don't know about you, but I, I hear voices in my head. Do you guys hear the voices, right? I hope you hear some voices. Like, I hope you hear the voice of God. I hope you hear the voice of reason. If you're smart, you'll hear the voice of your wife. <laughs> I, hear the voice, I hear the voice of the enemy, too. That doesn't mean I'm demon-possessed. It doesn't mean I'm demon-oppressed. It doesn't mean that I try to spark up conversations with the enemy. But the enemy, let me tell you what, what his, one of his biggest like, priorities is when he's speaking something into your life. One of his jobs is to bring you, bring your attention or keep your attention on the things in this life that you don't think you should have or that you think you should have that you don't. Did you know that there will always be something that you don't have? Always, right? I, I mean, I'm not saying something important, like God can supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But I mean, there will always be something in this world that you don't have. And the enemy knows which one of those things that you would like to have the most. And he likes to bring those things to your attention every once in a while. And if you focus and listen to that too much, it can cause you to mope a little bit and say, hey, I'm, you know, because sometimes in our Christianity, we think that serving God means we should have a little bit more and things should get a little bit better. Really, if you wanted to get into a quick breakdown of what the prosperity gospel is, it's something pretty close to that. That the better I live, the more I should have and the more of this world I should have, right? There is a prosperity message, but it's that you will receive the kingdom. You will be part of the kingdom, that you have eternal life. That's how we prosper in this earth. And along the way, God will choose to bless us in other ways as well. We're starting a new series today. I'll be in Judges chapter 7, verse 16 through 22, if you want to find your way there. Um, the, the name of the series is entitled Hard Love. There was a song that hit Christian radio a few years ago, and it, in, uh, it was one of my, a song that I liked quite a bit, and uh, it, it was somewhat of the inspiration for this message. And um, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to explore the life of a few individuals in the Old Testament who were shown love by God. But sometimes the love relationship that we have with God can be difficult. Did you know that? Right? It's, it's, a, it's a hard love. It, it's, not, it's not, somebody said like, when we say that we want to be loved, what we really want is we want someone to fulfill all of our desires without any work. That's what we think love should be. Like that's, that's the picture that the world is painting today, that love is something where someone or something gives you everything that they need and there's, you don't have to do anything, right? Like as a child, you don't have to do any chores. Your parents just give you everything you want. When you go to a job, you want your boss to give you more money, but you don't want to do more work for him, right? I, I hope this doesn't sound too familiar for some of you. But you just, you just want to receive necessarily without giving. But God, I don't want to say he demands more of his love because he loves us unconditionally. But rather, I'd, I'd say that if we want to experience his love to its fullest, we're going to have to understand that there's going to be places of discipline. There's going to be places of him seeing how committed we are. In our story today, we're looking at the story of Gideon. And... In the story of Gideon, we see a guy who, who, who God comes to, and he wants him to do something that a lot of the other guys and gals won't do, that he calls. 
If you read the Old Testament, you, you get this resounding theme of a king or a prophet or whoever did what God asked him to do, but the prophets, or excuse me, but the Baals remained, right? So these would have been statues. They, wouldn't, they didn't want to tear down the Baals. In other words, they were willing to obey God. They were willing to proclaim God's truth up to a certain point. Church, if you don't recognize it today, in the Church of America, we've become very comfortable with preaching Jesus Christ up to a certain point. You all have a bail in your life that keeps you from preaching the full gospel the way that it intends. You'll preach it until it gets to a, pl- a certain level of offense. You'll get into, go till it gets to a certain level of discomfort for the person receiving it or the person speaking it, which would be you. And so God comes to Gideon and he's going to lead him because Gideon's not a preacher, right? He, he's, a, he's a military guy. And so for those of you that think that the work that God's called you to do has to be done in the church or on this stage or as a preacher or, or pastor, you're sorely amiss. God's got work for you everywhere. So he's this military leader, and he gets into this kind of conversation back and forth with God. And he goes, all right, God, here's, here's what I want. Like, I, 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 I'm... I, I, You've come to me and you said, I want you to do this, right? I, I, want you, I want you to go lead these people into combat. And Gideon's like, no, nah, you got the wrong guy. Got the wrong guy. And, and Judges chapter 6, we're not going to read there. In Judges chapter 6, it's, we see that that chapter starts off with a familiar but an unfortunate phrase. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We see this phrase at least a dozen times in the Old Testament, and each time it is unpleasantly followed by consequences that were less than pleasant for the people. In this case, the Israelites were overcome by the armies of Midian for seven years. Then we read in verse 7 of chapter 6 that Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cry and sent an angel to meet with a man named Gideon. Now let me just stop right there. I'm going to preach a little bit this morning. Is that okay? I don't, I don't know how much I like my notes. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, but some of you are Bible scholars. So you already know the story. I'm not giving away too much. And for those of you who don't know the story, hearing it two or three times or from different angles won't hurt you anyway. Here in a minute, we're going to read that Gideon tears down the bales. Gideon's the son of a guy named Joash. And the people wake up one morning, and they go, hey, what happened to the bales? Someone goes, oh, Gideon cut it down. They go, hey, Joash, bring your son out here so we can kill him. No big deal, right? He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't putting his life on the line or anything. They were, going to, they were going to kill him. I don't know the last time as you were actually afraid somebody was going to kill you because of what you were doing for Jesus. Probably not too many instances. But in chapter 6, before we get into our text today, in chapter 7, in chapter 6, the people prayed for something. And do you know what the answer to their prayer was? Gideon. They prayed for an answer. God gave it to him, and they wanted to kill him. What's wrong with you people? You're just like him, right? I'm just kidding. Just lighten up a little bit. But isn't that the way we are? So, God, I'm going to pray, right? We all know, we've all heard these kind of, uh, these ideas that oppose each other. Be careful praying for patience, right? Because then God will give you a situation where you have to be patient. Be careful praying to be more loving. God's going to make it harder for you to love. Those types of things. But seriously, church, we pray for God to answer prayers. 
right? There was some country song that, like, I thank God for unanswered prayers. And if you're a pastor, you're like, oh, I just want to, this is so theologically messed up. Doesn't this country singer know what he's doing right now? More and more, I, I mean, I've been studying my prayer life and the prayer life that God prescribes in the Bible, and I'm trying to see where there's incongruencies. Does that make sense? I'm trying to see where God wants me to pray more like Scripture tells me to pray and less how I've been praying any place that it doesn't line up. You should do this. Say, this is how I'm praying. This is how Scripture says I'm praying. What do I need to do different so that my prayers are in line with Scripture? And the more I'm studying this, the more I'm recognizing God really doesn't ignore prayers as long as we're meeting the criteria for which he says need to be in place for him to hear our prayers. Right? By that I mean in Psalm, David says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. In other words, if I have sin in my life that's unconfessed, unrepented, my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. Right? Jesus teaches us that if we come to bring our gift to the altar, which would be a prayer of thanks, and we have something going on between us and a brother, he's not going to hear us pray. If you've been here for the last 11 weeks, you've probably heard me mention both of those things two or three times. But God doesn't not answer prayers. You see, because our prayer life is all about seeing the kingdom of God come down here on earth. And he's continuing to do that work. We don't think God answers prayers because we aren't spiritually tuned in to how he's answering them. I think that's okay this morning, church. You've prayed for something and God's providing the answer. But do you know what it does? It opposes your flesh. It opposes your flesh. and So, so that can't be the right answer. It opposes your agenda. It opposes the plan that you had for how God were, was going to see things come to pass, right? You've never done that. You've never put your agenda before God and then asked God to answer prayer, and he's answered it in a different way than what you've asked, right? His ways are higher, right? His thoughts are higher than mine, those types of things. And so it takes spiritual humility, spiritual brokenness. It takes being quiet, right? The Bible says to be still and know that he is God. It, it means coming into the presence of God continually and saying, God, I know you're God that answers prayers. How am I not seeing it? How am I not seeing it? What if we allowed our prayer life to be shaped in that way where we say, I know God's a God that answers prayers. I read about him in the Bible. And so if I'm not seeing the prayer come to pass, maybe I'm the one that's off and not God. That was free, but it was better than the other stuff that I had put down there. The other stuff was all about goals and visions I had made for my personal life, and God d decided he didn't want me to tell you about that. <laughs> so the angel tells Gideon, hey, before we're going to do this, you've got to go tear down the idols to Baal that have been set up. And he didn't want to do it. He couldn't do it. If you ever have a pastor or a leader that wants to do things that are going to upset people, like because they're going to upset people, you've got the wrong pastor. Seriously. And you're here, and so that's not me. I, I, you, ne you should never, like, that should never fuel you. I want to do this because it's going to, I will never do something because I think it will upset you. Just wanted to check, when you're talking about that in a few weeks or a few months or a few years, when I do something, you go, he was just doing that to upset me. You're wrong. I answer to a higher power. I'm more concerned about his opinion. <laughs> he couldn't do it wouldn't do it didn't want to do it but the spirit of the Lord came upon him that's what it tells us in, in chapter 6 
With that, you might note that before God uses us, we have to clean up our house. I talked a little bit about that fire piece in our life. You don't get to decide, right? When we see these wildfires taking place in these hot places or these dry places, they don't get to decide what gets burned up and what doesn't. That's what makes it wild. That's what makes it so concerning is they don't get to decide what the fire burns. Like fire doesn't do that. It doesn't choose what it will or won't burn up. And so when we invite the fire of the Holy Spirit into our lives, we have to be ready to give over everything. And some of us just need to get our house in order. That's why God's not using us. There's something in your house that needs cleanup. I don't know what that looks like for you today, but the Holy Spirit's telling you what it is right now or he's been telling you for years because he's good to us. But private faithfulness and holiness are always a prerequisite to public usefulness. Did you hear that? Private faithfulness and holiness are always a prerequisite to public usefulness. Now, I'm not saying that I might be saying that if you're not being used publicly, God might, you might not be faithful privately. If God's not using you publicly, there might be an area in your private life that needs to become more faithful. And so it wasn't Gideon's house, it was the house of Israel. Because God's going to give him victory, we know the story. But the house had to be cleaned up before he was going to bring victory. So these, this is our favorite part of the story, right? And by the way, we've been forever doing this. And I'm going to, I, I'm glad you've never told me this story because I'm going to shame somebody's prayer life today. And you're going to know that you didn't tell me this story. So you're not going to get upset at the pastor today, all right? You know what you should do? You should put a fleece out. We turned Gideon testing God into a theological practice for God to answer prayers. Yes, my hand is on my hip while I'm saying that. Nobody said what Gideon did was good. The Lord never said, here's, here's, this is Jonathan Barker, this isn't the scriptures, right? But the God that I understand that oversaw Israel and, and, and sent his son to die for us on the cross, this is probably about how it went. Gideon's sitting around, he goes, all right, I got, I got one for you, God. I'm going to put this fleece out. And you'll forgive me, I don't remember which order. I think it was wet fleece first. Um, and God, I want you to make that fleece wet, but I want all the ground around it to be dry. When I wake up in the morning, if I see it, I'm going to know, God, that that's what you meant. So Gideon does that, wakes up next morning, wet fleece. Gideon gets, any, any old trickster could pull that off, right? You just ran the hose on the fleece and left the rest. Of, but I bet you can't make the ground wet and make the fleece dry. So, right, what, what happens next morning? He gets up and he makes the, the ground wet. God makes the ground wet and he makes the fleece dry. And so, again, I'm not, I'm not beating you up. You've heard that. We've all heard preaching over the years, and we ascribe to some of it or didn't. But I'll just go ahead and make this point. God gave him his silly little test, and then he's going to make him march into, into battle with 300 people. Right? So God kind of got him back, didn't he? He thought, well, I need to prove that you're really God. And then he goes, well, I, I almost wonder if God didn't make him do it with 300 people just because of the little fleece test that he gave him. I think God has a sense of humor, and he wins in the end anyway, so what's it matter? I bet Gideon might have even looked back. Maybe he even carried that fleece in the battle. And when he saw what was happening, he just took it and said, ah, well. So that's what happens. I, I told you that we do the wet fleece, dry ground, wet ground, dry fleece. Gideon then assembled 32,000 people for battle. But God told Gideon to thin the herd because with this many warriors, Israel may win on their own and take the credit. So Gideon was instructed to send home everyone who was afraid. That's it, Right? 32,000 people called to combat, all with their armor on, all trained. If you don't want to go into battle, just go home. 22,000 people went home. 
That's, that's two-thirds. Church, do you know what happened when the pandemic hit? Everybody that was scared went home. They did. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be smart with your hygiene or your, or your Ill, illness that you have. That might, You know, I just told you, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm saying they're still going to Walmart. They're still going to... I'm tired of Bob Evans. Is that okay? I just, wherever you like to eat, but it's not Bob Evans for me. I know we don't have many options here. The, the Euro place is pretty good, though. They've got some killer fries. Still going everywhere else, but quit coming to battle. Do you know why? Because there's the theme of today's message. God does not call us to comfort. He calls us to combat. What ended up happening as soon as something struck that made being a Christian or going to church a little difficult, people found something out. They found out that there was plenty of comfort in not being in the battle. Some people say, I leave church on Sunday and I feel rejuvenated. I feel refreshed. But do you know what happens to me every week? And I feel those things too. But when I get into the week, I also sense spiritual warfare and know that I'm fighting battles that I wouldn't have to fight if I just went and got a corporate eight to five and spent the weekends on my boat. I don't have a boat. And don't think that's like some kind of backwards request for you to buy your pastor a boat. It's golf clubs, not boats. Buy my brother Troy a boat. So they're down to 10,000. God says, no, there's still too many. So they had a water drinking contest. It, it, this is like, if you think I'm kidding, like you can go read the passage later if you don't know the passage. And only 300 guys drank the water in the prescribed fashion of which God wanted to keep them. So there's th they went from 32,000 to 300. And then let's pick up in Judges chapter 7, verse 16. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. Whew. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just posted their watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in, the place around, in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. I mean, there's, I, there's so many messages. I, I'm just being overwhelmed looking at this text, again to, or this text again to think, we don't even have to defeat the enemy. God will cause the enemy to, to self-destruct, to go away. You don't even have to mess with him. Right? We have a duty. We'll talk about that in just a second. It is outlined in Judges 17, or 7, 16. We'll talk about that again here in just a second. But God does not call us to comfort. He calls us to combat. The Israelite people had done evil in his sight. They had seven years of Midian oppression. Gideon meets an angel. Gideon tests God. God says, I passed your silly little test. You're going to have to trust me more than a wet blanket on some dry ground. And then he whittles his army from 32,000 to 300. And says, watch what happens when you trust in me more than your own wisdom and power. That's what he says to all of us today. 
see what happens when you trust in me more than your own wisdom and power. Gideon was a warrior. That's what we said. He knew about warfare. And I'm going to prove to you that you might know a little bit more about warfare than you might realize. Here's a war strategy question for you. And I'll bet all of you can get it right. Are you ready? If you go into a battle with an enemy, do you want to have more people or less people? No, it's more. Don't try to get theological on me. You want more people. You want more people. Warfare 101, more troops equals better chance for victory. Yet God tells Gideon to reduce the troops because they are a prideful people that have done evil in his sight. And now as he brings victory into their lives, he wants to make sure they have no choice but to give all the glory to him. Here's the bottom line. Combat is not comfortable. Combat's not comfortable. So we can't pretend we want a piece of the action while we remain in our comfort zones. God is revealing, I believe even right now, an area of your life where you need to reduce the troops. I wonder what area of your life today you need to reduce the troops. What is it in your life that you're putting too much faith, hope, or trust in other than the Almighty God? Stop fighting with God about what you know, about what you have, or what you're capable of, and submit to God's plan for your life that might not make sense to anyone else in the world. Do you guys get that when you read the Bible? Every time God asks somebody to do something, it basically opposes the culture that they're living in. It basically opposes the culture that they're living in. We talk a little bit more this morning about comfort versus combat. Before, God could, before Gideon could lead the battle for the Lord, he was commanded to tear down the, the altars of Baal. Though they were under Midian oppression and had altars set up to other gods, they still believed they were God's people. They still went to church on Sunday morning. They still tithed. They still invited people to Easter. They invited people to the car show. They brought kids to Awana. They were God's people. But still, there were issues in their life that remain. This language or, or culture idea of, of altar building or, or bales might be lost on us. So let me share a little bit of what that looks like for us today. We become Christians. We say we're God's people. And then slowly but surely, we let culture around us present um, ideas to us that take up our time and our energy. We read our Bibles for five minutes a day before we spend inordinate amounts of time in careers or hobbies and say the Lord's Prayer before we watch a sporting event for three hours if they don't kick us out of the school for saying the prayer. We spend time all week chasing other things, lesser goals, things that appease the flesh. Then we walk into places of worship like this and lift forms of worship that are perhaps nothing more than an, just an emotional outburst. I've maybe been guilty of that before. You've got a lot. I mean, worship's a great thing. It can be very healing. But shouting and screaming and moving your body around, I mean, there's reason dance clubs are full today, right? I've never been to a dance club. I don't know if that's even a relative illustration. <laughs> there's reasons thousands of people pack into concerts and sporting events. And I told, me and Allison went to, no, 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 where was I? Um, me, me and a friend from church, this is how good of a guy I was. I went with him to a Bengals game in Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I was trying to do some evangelistic work out there in Pittsburgh. All of you Steelers fans can go ahead and boo. Um, 
But we went to the game, and there was this guy sitting next to me, and he screamed the whole game. I mean, every time he talked to me, he was pleasant. He was joyful. But he just kept screaming about everything. He screamed when they forgot to start the clock on time. He screamed at the ref when he made a good, when he made a good decision and a bad decision. He screamed at the coaches. He screamed at the players. We would, our seats weren't good enough to where any of them could hear him. His girlfriend could hear him. I could tell that she could hear him. She was having a blast. But we, we all had this release that we need that needs to take place in our life that's for sure but we have to be so so careful with what our motives are when we're worshiping God they worship God while they stared at the idols that represented other gods in their life Many times in our worship, we will attach his name to it, but if the bales in our life remain, if we keep needing that security that comes from the world that says we need to have something, it's tainted worship. It's tainted worship. Catch this this morning, church. Perhaps the only sin that we could commit that would be greater than worshiping false gods would be offering up a false worship to a real God. Perhaps the only sin that we could commit greater than worshiping false gods would be lifting a false worship to a real God. That's what I believe God was seeing in the nation of Israel at the time. Authentic worship to a holy God pushes back the darkness of the heavenlies. Your prayers that are offered up from a broken spirit are breaking the strongholds that are binding those who have no more strength to fight. Your praise can release the chains on other people. I'm sure of it this morning. Your bold move of faith that makes sense to no one else will release the blessing of God upon your life, upon your ministry, and upon your family. God does not call us to comfort. He calls us to combat. I'm going to invite the team to come forward this morning, and I'm going to offer up a way that we could perhaps respond to this, this, this message this morning. Someone once said, we need to be more afraid of eternal failure than temporal risk. We need to be more afraid of eternal failure than temporal risk. I don't know why, but eternity's been heavy on my mind lately. And I've just been thinking about some of the answers I'm going to have to give God to some of the questions that he asked. Sure, I mean, I, I'm going to be able to claim the blood of Jesus. I, I'm secure in the fact that I know that I'm a child of his, that I am going to spend eternity with him. But I mean, if there's things in there that say, like in Matthew 11 tells us that every idle word that we've spoken will be accounted for, there's going to be some questions we have to answer. He didn't outline them all because he didn't want to scare us away. But I think we're going to give an account for what we've been given, right? The scriptures teach the principle of to whom much is given, much shall be required. What eternal situation, what eternal failure is, is something that maybe is being, is maybe coming to light because of a temporal risk you're afraid of? I wonder what you worry about this morning. I wonder what you're anxious about. Money's a big one. Do you know that money's a big one? It's the big, they tell us the biggest one. They say it's the number one reason for divorce. Um, you'll work extra hours, especially hours on Sunday, because you have to meet the needs of your family, which, inv which involve about triple the square footage that most of us need to live in. I'll just be honest with you. I'm talking about somebody you don't know and, you'll never meet 
There's people I know that mismanage their money all day, that keep having kids that they can't support, that quit jobs every other month, and I bet they'll still die of old age. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it before. You've probably complained or murmured about it, but the, the fact is the reason that keeps happening is because God cares about them more than the lilies of the field. He cares about them more than animals and right, all these things that he takes care of. He cares about us that much. Now, I'm not saying that gives us a right to live irresponsibly, but it certainly means we can, we can decrease our concern about a temporal risk that he might be asking us to take so that we don't fail in light of eternity. Financial stability, relational congruency, and enjoying a little R&R are far from sinful. But the day that we stop fighting for the kingdom is the day that we start dying. We have to stop trying to over-rationalize God. We ask him to do big things, and then we make him small. In this life, God might need to diminish your confidence in yourself until you quit trying to rationalize him. He might need to diminish your confidence in you until your confidence lies fully in him. We need to stop asking for blankets. We need to quit asking God to stop giving us wet and dry blankets and recognize that if you're called by his name, he will use you for his glory. 1 Samuel 12, says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Let me tell you something that God's revealed in my own life. You'll, you, you'll hear me confess a lot from this table. Uh, I already confessed to you that I was a little mopey this week. Let me confess another one to you. Sometimes I limit God's work because I could say he couldn't possibly want to do that through me. That's still me being prideful. It's still me having the wrong perspective and believing that it's about my glory. When I make a statement like that, that's a, that's a my glory statement. He wouldn't want to do that through me. When we make that statement, it shows that we still care about our own personal glory. When we recognize ourselves as a living vessel for his use. Look at those illustrations in the Bible. Do you think a pot was ever very proud of itself? I think that's why we were compared to a vessel. We're just a big pot that God wants to fill up and pour out. We're not extravagant or glamorous. Nobody comes to a wedding party and goes, man, look, those are great pots. Man, those pots did a great job today. If we truly get the perspective that we exist to bring glory to him, we'll quit making statements. You know what that is? It's false humility. It is, it's false humility. It's, it's twisted pride. It's twisted pride. It's also you questioning the creator of the universe on the creation that he made, as if he made anything that was less than good. Let me tell you, why I paused I, after I read that first verse in our text today. Let me go back to it. Judges 7, 16 says, he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers in the hand of them all with the torches inside the pitchers. We read the rest of the text before. There was an order in which they were supposed to do things. They were supposed to blow the trumpet, break the pitcher, and hold the fire. 
blow the trumpet, break the pitcher, hold the fire. That blowing the trumpet It was the beginning of worship. You might not understand if you're new here today or if you're new to the church, or maybe you've been around church too long and you don't think you need to sing. And you can worship a lot of different ways. But when we begin to worship, it means we're turning over our energy. It means we're beginning to acknowledge who God is. I love allegory in the Old Testament, how it teaches us the principles that God wants us to see. That, that day, had there not been any brokenness, they wouldn't have been able to see the fire. Y'all like when somebody gets blessed in the church? You know what I'm talking about, right? You saw a pastor do it here today. I wonder, don't, don't shake your head or raise your hand. Maybe some of you get like, how can you just shout like that, like in front of people? Kind of embarrassing. I don't know if I want to go to church where people shout. Every once in a while, somebody might start moving around too much. Might run up down an aisle or lift their hands or say something like glory. Like, <sighs> Maybe, some of you know what I mean. Please hear me. I'm not mocking worship. Maybe some of you can do this or this or this, but maybe there are people that really can't get their arm to go all the way up. And I'm not, I'm not, this isn't bad worship. This isn't bad worship. I'm not judging your worship. That's all I'm talking about this morning. But if there's any kind of inhibition in your worship, where you go, I just don't feel like I can, I don't feel like I can shout. I, I get my hands, I don't know if I can go up here. I, I, I don't know if I can go to the altar and pray. I don't know if I can take that step. I don't know if I can pray with someone else. I don't know if I can be anointed. I don't know if I can do that. You might just ask God to break the vessel. I'm talking about just turning it all over to him. I'm talking about all the junk. I don't even use this word, but all the crap that needs to be cleaned up. I mean, he'll talk to you about anything. He will. He'll talk to you about the way you're spending your money. He'll talk to you about the music that you listen to, about the TV that you watch, about how you talk to your spouse, about how you disrespect your boss. Broken people don't struggle with that. They just say, I want my fire to shine bright. But we can't truly worship. We can't truly let people see the fire that's burning inside of us until the vessel is broken. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. But he hasn't called us to comfort. He's called us to combat. And I don't know about all of you. I'm competitive. And I think God puts competition, a competitive spirit, in everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Because we're in a battle. And we're going to get a victory. And he wants us chasing that victory. You don't win victories if you don't fight battles. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being lulled to sleep by a TV or music or a beer or whatever it is that you're chasing after. I, your pastor doesn't drink beer. But maybe you do. I don't know. I don't want to just crawl across the finish line. Man, I don't know when the last time was that you won something, but I like winning. I do. I like to win. But you've got to train. There's got to be some blood, sweat, and tears, mostly all over these altars. 
you're laying in bed at night and you want to quit and you don't know why the darkness surrounds you, that's when he reminds us how we fight our battles, right? Why don't you stand this morning? You do whatever you need to this morning. Maybe you need to worship. Maybe you need to go reconcile with your neighbor. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray for God to help you forgive someone or to let something go or just to break you. Man, it's going to be tough. It's hard to prescribe this, right? It's hard to prescribe this. But when we go to the doctor, sometimes, you know what they say, even for you that are old-time Christians, you're saved and sanctified and washed in the blood. Sometimes you go to the doctor and, and there's been an injury, and you've all heard this, right? We have to re-break something so that it heals right. Maybe we need to be broken again, church. I don't know where you are, but I hope that we've been faithful to the word this morning to understand that God wants us to see victory in our life. And when you feel like you have all the victories that you're supposed to have, you're supposed to be fighting for other people. You'll get to rest on the other side of eternity, right? That's where we lift our trophies. We get to lift them for a second, and then we'll throw them at the feet of Jesus. Father, we pray that we've been faithful to your word, Lord. I pray that you would instill within this people a desire for victory. And God, help us to recognize that if we want to feel the thrill of victory, God, if we want to overcome defeat, that we have to be willing to take the steps that are necessary to be on the front lines. God, that we have to figure out where it is that we've settled into our comfort zones and we have to rebuke those areas in the name of Jesus. God, I don't want to be comfortable. I know, forgive me, God, sometimes I know I ask for that. God, I pray that you give your people that are at battle, that you give them a holy rest, but it's only so that we might be re-energized to head back out and fight for those who need to see victory come to pass. In Jesus' name. Amen.
challenge you this morning to pray a prayer. Don't pray if you don't mean it. Not taking count, not looking around. But if you would just join me in this prayer, God, I know you have big things for Cap City Church. I personally am willing to surrender my comfort so that your kingdom can move forward. That'd be a bold prayer this morning, church. If we pray that, let's pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Again, if you're joining us online, we're so thankful that you're here today. Um, we will say goodbye to you and hope that you join us on our, at our Rathmel Road campus very soon. Um, know that if you see construction, you can get into the church. It's a little harder to get out, but we're not worried about you getting out. We just want you to get in. So, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward to help us to receive the morning tithes and offerings. Let's see. I will take somewhere in my life probably around like 10,000 offerings, I think. I don't know where I am right now in the count. But it's really hard not to. I mean, I'll tell you what. I, I, uh, Colton knows it. We're all, we're not online anymore. So I can, I had an usher one time that prayed over the offering and he prayed the exact same thing every week. And I thought, man, find some inspiration for something. Surely God's got something else he wants you to pray. But I do. I, I take offerings very seriously because I think they are a, a big part of our worship life. And I look for ways that the Spirit might lead me to challenge you or to think about how you could give in a different way. So here's one for you God led, led me to. 63 of you gave to one. Well, I don't know that. Some of you may have sponsored more than one kid. But if you're in here today and you gave $40 to sponsor an Awana kid, and you're not somebody...